Hey, what's going on, you guys? This is episode 12 of the Nobby Design Podcast, and we sit down with my good friend and really a mentor figure to me, Billy Humphrey, who is the director of the International House of Prayer here in Atlanta. Uh, this episode is really just packed with so many golden nuggets, uh, not only around the topic of prayer, but really unpacking spiritual intelligence uh, around the topic of prayer. And uh, I just really enjoyed interviewing Billy. Uh, again, he's been such a huge resource and uh, incredible mentor figure in my life. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. Check it out. All right. Well, what is going on, you guys? This is Andy Un, and uh, this is another episode of the Navi Design Podcast, where we're really unpacking human development and spiritual intelligence in a way that is real, relevant, and relatable for people. And I am super excited for this podcast in particular. Uh, I have a very good friend, and I would even call him even though he's not Korean, he's my spiritual young. He's my <laughs> spiritual big brother. Uh, we today we have Billy Humphrey, who is the director of the International House of Prayer here in Atlanta. Billy, would you like to say hello? Sure, Andy. So glad to be with you. So excited about what you're doing, the gift of God in you, and uh, just glad to be here with your listeners and talking about the interesting stuff that you always are talking about. So <laughs> wherever we go today, I know it's going to be fun. I know it's going to be interesting because you're always looking at, you're always looking at issues from the other side of the ball. Well, there's no better way that I would even describe the way that I became friends with Billy. So I, I have to share this. So the crazy thing about um, the way that I, I would really say I reconnected with Billy, but I really connected with Billy about two years ago. Um, in 2008, I went on a mission trip to North Korea, and it radically, radically changed my life. Um, another story for another day. I ended up coming back home to Atlanta, and at the time, coming back from such a radical experience working with North Korean refugees, I came back home, and I kind of was just trying to find my bearings in Atlanta again. And what ended up happening was I ended up going to the International House of Prayer. I went to IHOP Atlanta. Uh, the location where they are today in Lawrenceville. And I remember walking into the prayer room uh, really for one of my first times at that location and no one else was in the prayer room. Uh, I was sitting in the front by myself and I see this dude uh, pacing kind of back and forth. It's just me and him come to find out that that was Billy. I just thought he was a random guy in the prayer room and Billy comes up to me. He lays his hands on me and, um, and he says this, he says, the heart that God has given you for that nation, don't worry about it because you'll never lose that heart. It was something along those lines. And I just remember being totally mind blown. Billy doesn't even remember this because it's obviously in 2008. Um, so that's actually the first official time I met with Billy was in a prayer room, him walking by, just seeing me decide to pray for me. What he said was so spot on. Um, but it wasn't until really 2018 that we got connected through a friend and I'll just share this story quickly, Billy, and then would love for people to hear from you and, and a bit about who you are and what you do. But um, a, a close friend uh, introduced me to Billy was like, Hey man, I really feel like you need to connect with Billy um, and Jeff Lyle. They're 
you know, guys up in Lawrenceville, they're connected with the house of prayer. And so we end up meeting at this seafood restaurant called Papa Do's. And I'll never forget this. So I hadn't been to Papa Do's in like 10, 15 years. I don't know how to get there. So I'm putting it in my GPS and I'm driving up the highway and I get off the highway and I kid you not, this is literally what it says. It says, take a right onto friendship, take a left onto unity and you'll arrive at your destination. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> so I knew right off the bat, this is going to be a fun connection. And uh, we've been friends ever since, Billy. Yeah. No, that's funny though. I, I can't even, I know that area well. I can't even think of a road over their name, Unity. So I'm like, was that just like a, the Lord sliding something in the GPS? Like, what was that? I, 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 I mean, maybe there's a Unity over there. I don't even know. It, if I remember correctly, the Unity Street was, it was like a side access road to take. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So funny. Yeah. So, but anyways, Billy, for the person who may, may not have any connection with you, I mean, obviously you're very well known in, in certain circles for sure. But yeah, Billy, share about yourself and how, take as much time as you want. Okay, sure. Yeah, I'm... Um... A husband of 27 years. My wife, Mary Beth, and I have been married 27 years. I have four children. They are 20, 18, 20, 19, 16, and nine. Come My 18-year-old just turned 19. Um, and we have three boys. And then in the bonus round of the nine-year-old, we got the girl. And <laughs> so um, uh, they're my first ministry, my first calling, and um, the love of my life, honestly, my family is everything to me. And then um, the, you know, the work that I do, the Lord's um, given me um, leadership over a, an unusual ministry that has several different strands to it. But the centerpiece of it is uh, live worship and prayer. So we actually have um, a house of prayer that has continued with live worship and prayer 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, since 2006. So, wow. yeah, we're coming up on our 14th anniversary of live worship and prayer. And what I mean by that is there's always somebody here leading worship on an instrument. Um, sometimes it's large teams of 10, 12 people. Sometimes it's just small one person. The room always has people in it, maybe one or two at sometimes, sometimes 150. Yeah. And um, that's the centerpiece of our ministry. We have also um, a local church mm. that I co-pastor with Jeff, who you mentioned, and mm. uh, Dustin Pennington. Yep. And then we have an international missions outreach where we're in um, seven different nations and we have about 45 international missionaries. And mm. then one of our bases actually has raised up um, indigenous missionaries from their base and they support another 40 African missionaries. Wow. And so um, domestically to keep the house of prayer rolling, we've got about 45 missionaries internationally, about 45 and then another 40 Africans all from the base of night and day prayer and a spiritual family of about, you know, 1200 folks. So it's wow. a very unusual uh, church house of prayer missions ministry Yes. Um, when I try to explain it to people, most people don't, they kind of look at you a little sideways, like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> because it's just not, it doesn't fit into most boxes. 
But you know what, Billy, I feel like that's an incredible segue to just dig right or dive right in. Um, you know, I guess kind of the heartbeat for me as I really felt prompted to start this podcast was really kind of engage spiritual things in a way where, of course, the realm of the spirit will always have a certain level of mystery and it'll always have a certain mystical quality. But I felt like there was this great desire inside of me to really unpack it in a way that is, like I said in the beginning, real, relatable and relevant for people. Mm -hmm. So I think what you're talking about is such a great segue because I would love for you, Billy, just to take however long you want um, to really kind of maybe answer this question or, or, or dive into this world is, you know, obviously, you know, prayer is could be broken down in so many different ways. I mean, I always kind of just pointed back to our connection with the Lord, right? Our connection with God. But for the person that may be wondering, like, what, what is it about why you do what you do um, in this place of continuous day and night prayer? For you, what is the big why uh, behind it all? Yeah, I mean, there's probably several whys that are all inter interlocked. Um, you know, firstly, what I'm doing is as a result of just simple obedience. I was a youth pastor for 13 years at a growing um, mega church here in the city. Yep. Um, we had hundreds of young people, had a great ministry. I, it was really nothing, nothing compelling me from the outside to want to leave that environment. I was growing and awesome. And, um, but internally, I was really hungering for the Lord and the Lord was creating a dissatisfaction in me. Mm. It caused me to look for something, something more, something yeah. different. Yeah. And it was in that season as, a, as that dissatisfaction began to grow in my own soul that he began to actually just put me in the place where all I really could do was pray. I, I, I was sort of breaking on the inside and I only, the only place I could find peace was you know, spending time with the Lord, like just on, and I'm not talking about praying, like asking God for things. I'm talking about more like just sort of laying before him while I'm playing worship music, just sort mm. of crying and asking him for help. <laughs> like, that's not, not, we're not talking about powerful, what people think is powerful prayer. We're talking about like help <laughs> God or I'm going to die kind of prayer. <laughs> and, um, and so it was in that season that the Lord, he set up a variety of things that, I couldn't have uh, reproduced, I couldn't, and I couldn't have calendared myself. There was no way to set up the connections that happened. And, and so what happened was there was a, just a whole series of prophetic things that the Lord was speaking to me through other people and, and then also uh, divine connections and relationships. And um, I ended up meeting the director of the House of Prayer in uh, Kansas City. Yeah. But, uh, his name is Mike Bickle. And they had been doing 24-hour worship and prayer since 1999. Yeah. And in that season, I felt like this was something I was supposed to do. And I remember saying it to Mike and saying, hey, I think I'm supposed to do 24-7 prayer in Atlanta. And he really, he tried to talk me out of it, actually. He said, why would you want to do a thing like that? <laughs> and I, I was like, um, like, dang, I thought this would go differently, you know? <laughs> You meet the guy who's doing the thing that you think you want to do and you think maybe he'd encourage you. And he was completely like, yeah, don't do that. It's a bad idea. <laughs> like, Oh, but, um, 
you know, I was the youngest of three brothers. And so the key to try to get me to do something was tell me I can't do it. That's right. And, um, and so, uh, anyway, I ended up meeting with Mike in that season and we became close and, and he ended up, you know, helping me and coaching me. And, and he just said, Hey, look, if you're really going to do this, you got to move here for a year. So I moved to Kansas city, resigned my job as a youth pastor, had a great job, salary, everything covered, expense accounts, staff, wow. everything. Wow. Resigned all of that and went on support as a missionary, moved to Kansas city and then um, spent a year with those guys and worked in their leadership environment there to try to understand the message and the model and vision values of the house of prayer. Wow. And then came back to uh, Atlanta and then um, began to plant the house of prayer here. Wow. Which um, we started with like 40 people and um, 40 hours a week. And um, it grew to about 70 hours. And then about nine months, it grew to um, 120 hours. Yeah. And at the 16 month mark, it went 24 seven. And I think at that, by that point, I was probably as shocked as anybody. I was like, I didn't think this was going to happen because after a while in Kansas city, I knew this is like, not, this isn't easy. This is the reason why he was trying to talk me out of it. Cause this is wow. super hard and only God can do it. Wow. But that was 2006. Uh, we went 24 seven and the worship and the prayers never stopped. So for me, it was an obedience point. You're asking me the why. Yes. It was an obedience point. I, there was really nothing naturally that was compelling me. It was about this dissatisfaction God birthed in my soul. Yeah. I would say what, what continues to hold, hold us steady is the simple central thought of the worth of Jesus. Yeah. You know, I think modern church offers Jesus sometimes, you know, an hour, maybe two hours on the Sunday morning. Yeah. And, um, but that, that really isn't, it's not even biblical. It's not, there's no, there's no model from the Bible that gives us that idea. Right. Um, and so, you know, I have a friend of mine, he says it this way, he says, Jesus is worthy. Um, he's worthy of our worship and our prayer. And he's not, he's not worthy of 24 seven. He's worthy of 25, eight. Yes. He's worthy of more than what we could even offer him. Yes. And, um, but the, the central kind of governing facet of the worth of Jesus that he's actually worthy of all of our love, all of our adoration, mm. every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every month of every, mm. of every one of our lives. I mean, that's wow. just real. Wow. And so uh, that the worth of Jesus is what continues to compel us. You know, what was born out of obedience and love continues to be sustained by this revelation of his, the centerpiece of Jesus being worthy of our adoration. <laughs> wow. No, and I love that. I mean, I think, um, I think in many ways, I think, you know, what we would consider the prayer movement is almost kind of, um, it's a signpost again, pointing back to the actual worth and value of that which we are beholding. And, you know, like you said, even that falls short of, of really what Jesus is actually worth. Um, I, my, I guess a, a, another question that I would have would be like, you know, kind of wanting to dig into this thing around the tabernacle of David, right? I think um, if you hear the story of even how 24-7 prayer uh, really kind of took the center stage in the world, I mean, you can even go back as far as, you know, the Moravians in, you know, I, I believe it was the 1600s. Um, and you can go even further back than that. But so much of it points back to this reality that we find in the Bible around the tabernacle of David, right? The spirit of the tabernacle of David. 
And essentially the, the tabernacle of David was uh, really kind of a worship structure that allowed for 24-7 nonstop continuous prayer worship happen, happening in Israel. Um, my question to you would be, what do you feel like if, if all of these things are kind of type and shadows, right? If God obviously doesn't prescribe this just for no reason, right? There's actually a deeper undergirding reason behind this. Like if it's a type and a shadow, my question to you would be, what do you feel like is actually happening around this thing we call continuous nonstop day and night worship and prayer? Right. Yeah. So I think a lot of people, they don't, they don't really recognize this, but that David, the centerpiece of his kingdom yeah. was a live worship and prayer, live worship and prayer meeting that took place in front of the Ark of the Covenant, which is okay. the place where the glory of God dwelt. Yep. And uh, he actually funded that with state money. He actually funded it from the government coffers. And he had 288 full-time singers and musicians who rotated um, every hour. Um, and they continued seven days a week. Yeah. 24 hours a day. And they did that for 33 and a half years. They were built together on family teams led by a, a family elder. Mm. And uh, they offered worship and praise before God. Yeah. Well, so when David sets that up, this is just, you know, uh, to, to, you have to kind of get the biblical narrative, right? So David yeah. becomes king. The first thing he does is he goes and gets the ark. He brings the ark back. That's a big story. Yep. And we always focus on David dancing before the Lord, you know, and being, yep. I'll become more undignified than this. Yep. And most of the time, the story kind of ends there when you hear preachers. They kind of like, and he was undignified and his wife was mad and wow. Yeah. But the, the story continues with, he, and he's dancing before the ark because he's bringing the ark back, hanging mm. up in the tent that he's prepared for it so that he can set up yeah. the ark at the center you know, and that worship and prayer can continue night and day. And then you find out that David says, I built it according to this, to the pattern you showed me. Yes. You find out about David. He's a prophet. So David had some heavenly encounters. He said, I've seen the, I've seen the extent of all perfection. I mean, he just, he described how he, he gazed on the majesty and the glory of God. Yes. So here's what you have to realize is that David sets up that model of worship and prayer before the ark as a mirror Mm. of worship and prayer that takes place around the throne room of uh, around the throne of God. Yes. Okay. Yep. And he even calls it the footstool of the throne. Yep. Um, in, in, um, first Chronicles 28, he calls it, he mm. said, I, I set up a place for the footstool. Mm. So he's actually operating in this mirror of heaven and earth. Yes. So it's, it's what Jesus taught us to pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Well, when David sets that up in the story, you can, you can find it in, in 1 Chronicles 16 and 17 and then 2 Samuel 6 and 7. But when he sets it up, um, he immediately gets vexed because he's put the Ark of the Covenant in a tent and right. he's got this giant ivory palace that he's built, yep. right? Yep. And so he says to the prophet Nathan, I want to build God a house. I'm going to build a temple. Mm. So Israel is operating without a temple. They've got the ark uh, in the tabernacle of David. They've got sacrifices taking place at Gibeon and, and Moses' tabernacle. Both those are happening at the same time, but they've gotten a temple. 
And um, immediately the prophet says, hey, that sounds like a good idea. You're on a roll. Mm. And then the Lord appears to the prophet in the, in the night and says, tell David he can't build me a house, but his son will. But here's, the, here's kind of the big deal. Mm. It's in that place that we get this promise that God makes to David. Yeah. And he, and he makes this promise. He says a couple of things. He says, from your line, from your lineage, they will never cease to be a king on the, on the throne of Israel. Yep. And then he says, from your line, there will come a king who will reign forever and ever. Mm. So when, now just to fast forward, when you hear um, the people saying, Hosanna to the son of David, mm. uh, when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, yep. they're referencing that prophecy mm. in 2 Samuel 7. Mm. And so he, here's the thing. And then the Lord says, and I will build you a house. I will give you dominion. Mm. And so when David sets up this worship and prayer that mirrors heaven on earth, yeah. God begins to expand the kingdom of Israel. It's what's known now as the golden age of Israel. Wow. And uh, if you go back one generation prior to David, you have Saul. And Saul is a demonized king. Yep. He's completely hard straight from the Lord. And prior to that, we have judges. And when we have judges, Israel is basically this vagabond nation with no military and no borders. Mm. In one generation, David takes Israel from being this vagabond nation to being the regional superpower unto under Solomon, his son, the, the regions, the kings and the regions around Israel are all coming to check it out and say, like, yeah. what have you guys done here? How did you yep. do this thing? Yep. And I'm convinced, and I, biblically, I think that's the narrative. That's the, that's the obvious narrative is that when David sets up the ark, yep. God promises dominion. Wow. And then what David does is carries it out faithfully. Now, he wasn't perfect. Yeah. We know his, fault, his failings, but he carries out the, the um, ministry to the Lord. And then what happens is God expands the kingdom in a way, honestly, that's never been seen ever since. Mm. it hit a height under Solomon that had, it had never attained to. And since then it's never been seen. Mm. Billy, this is so good. I want to ask you a, a question to maybe dig deeper into what you're talking about. Um, I'm going to try to phrase the question. Obviously there is a very clear mirroring that's happening, right? So David is seeing something in another dimension or another world. And that's what he's mirroring in this world, in this yeah. earth, right? Yeah. So obviously there's a mirroring of heaven here to earth. My mm -hmm. question to you would be twofold. Number one, why do you think that that's significant? Number two, what do you think is actually happening in the spiritual world, so to speak, or the spiritual dimension when that mirroring takes place? Okay, so the reason why I think it's significant is because this is, this is God's desire. Yeah. His desire is that there would be convergence mm. of heaven and earth. Wow. Okay. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you understand that Hebraically, you understand that it's a seamless creation. Mm. Heavens and the earth were seamlessly ordered. Mm. And what we have is that at, at some point in time, you know, initially you have God in the garden with Adam yes. on the earth. So yes. it's a seamless order. And at some point in time after the fall, we have the separation, this veil mm. that comes between the heavens and the earth. Yep. So then what you have is from there till now, 
you continue, you continually see these convergence points. Wow. And so, um, Moses tabernacle, yep. when they, when they erected that fire came out of heaven Yep. and it, the glory of God uh, was seen hovering over the holy place of the tabernacle. That was mm. a convergence of heaven and earth. Mm. Most scholars believe, many scholars believe, I say most, many scholars believe that when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies where that glory was resident, yep. that he, they were actually stepping into heaven. Yes. It wasn't just a little bit of heaven sort of dropped on the earth. No. It was this convergence wow. of heaven and earth together. Wow. And that's why if the guy went in there with sin, he was going to drop dead. Wow. So when David gets the ark uh, in their first attempt to bring it back, they mishandle the ark. A guy reaches out and touches it. His name's Uzzah. And when he touches the ark, he falls dead. Why? Because wow. the glory of God is beginning to manifest again. That convergence point is happening again. Wow. So then David is there and he sets up worship and prayer around this convergence point. Yeah. And it's from there that dominion springs forth. Wow. And so um, we, we see this at the, at the dedication of the temple under Solomon. Now, they take the ark, they put it in the temple, and fire falls again, Second Chronicles 7, the priest yep. comes to stand and minister. Yep. Um, we see it in Jesus. Jesus yes. is God in the flesh tabernacling among us. That's he right. had an open heaven over him, First uh, John chapter 1, verse 51. He yes. was, Jesus was the convergence point. He said, he goes, I'm the latter. Wow. He's a convergence point. Wow. And now in Christ, now this is a huge point for believers. This is deep. Bro, you're, you're taking it exactly where I wanted to go. <laughs> with believers, when you said yes to Jesus, Holy Spirit came and lived inside of you. Mm. The Holy Spirit isn't some like junior partner of God, of the Godhead. He's God. Mm. Like Jesus said, my father and I will come and live in you. Mm. Make our home in you. We're going to tabernacle in you. What's he saying? We're going to converge inside of you. Wow. And now the church individually, we are convergence points. We, we have Holy Spirit inside of us and corporately. Mm. Ephesians 2 says we're being built together as a dwelling place of God and the spirit. Wow. This point of heaven and earth converging is God's desire for his people for the corporate gathering of his people, for his people individually, and it's where things are going. Heaven and earth is coming back together because when wow. the Lord returns, wow. he's bringing heaven to earth again. Wow. So, Billy, really what I hear you say, <clears throat> this is giving just feedback to, to what I'm hearing. What I hear you saying is that this mirroring is significant because it's creating this convergence point where heaven and earth become one. And because of that convergence point, there is almost a permeation of realities and things that are happening in that heavenly realm yeah. now permeating into this earthly realm. Exactly. And really you're pointing it back to that's what God wanted from the beginning. That's what he wants from the beginning. And you know, that's why I can walk up to you. I don't know you at all. Yeah. You're sitting there. I, and like I, like, I don't even remember that, but I'm walking yeah. around praying, but Holy spirit on the inside just witnesses to me. Yeah. Tell that young man the points that I told you. Yeah. Or exactly the things you were praying for in that moment. Yes. It's nothing's it, it, it's not anything special about the individual. It's the product yes. of having glory dwelling within you. Wow. That convergence of heaven and earth. Now heaven manifests right through me. Wow. And that's you know, if you know, I'm thinking a young 
a young professional or something. And what, what that young professional guy needs to figure out, the born again Christian who's in the world, wow. is he needs to figure out how to not get sucked into operating by the sort of laws of the world. Come on. Be wise to them, but operate by the laws of the kingdom. Wow. You've God in you. Wow. You're walking into the boardroom. You've got God in there. Mm. You're bringing God into that boardroom. It doesn't matter if every person in that room is demonized. What you have inside of you is greater. And that's why the scripture says it. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Wow. And so what you're bringing into that boardroom is, is dynamite times a trillion to the trillionth power. Wow. And there's divine intelligence. There's information. There's anointing. There's the expansion of the kingdom that God wants to bring through you into those places. Wow. And, and the, the, the point is that we have to tend our tabernacle. Wow. We wow. have to tend the glory within. If wow. we're carnal, we're fleshly, we're more in tune with our flesh than we are with the Holy Spirit inside, guess what? We're going to manifest flesh. Wow. Romans 8 says it's death. Wow. But if we, if we are allowing Holy Spirit within us to manifest the glory of God inside of us, that glory is going to permeate us and the atmosphere around us. And he's going to manifest that through us. That's so good, Billy. And this is the immediate thought that came to my mind. So kind of what I hear you saying as well is, you know, when Jesus said and pointed to himself and said, I am the temple, you know, it wasn't just a figure of speech. It wasn't just a metaphor. He was literally saying that we as human beings, we are the temple. We are a temple. And I think that that's so cool because I don't know about you, Billy, but for me, I think, you know, growing up and especially when I first kind of started pursuing the Lord, I would read about the tabernacle. I would read about, you know, the, the Moses's tent and even the, the temple. And I would think about all of the things that the Bible were describing and I'd kind of get lost, right? Like, I'm just like, I don't really know what to do with this bronze labor thing. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But Are we I supposed think, to wash people in a bronze bath? Is that what exactly, we're doing? <laughs> exactly. But I, what I hear you saying, even as you're talking about this analogy of tending to the temple within is it's almost like what you're saying is the same intentionality that the priest had with cultivating and tending to that temple is the way that we're supposed to tend to our own spiritual lives. For sure. Well, and, and like, this isn't just some pie in the sky thing that I'm describing. Yeah. He made us a kingdom of priests. Wow. So the businessman is still a priest. Come on. The doctor is a priest. Come on. And a priest's first calling is to minister to God. Wow. And then his second calling is to minister to man. Wow. He ministers to God, receives from God. Yes. And then he gives that to men. That's what a priest does. Mm. The church, the whole church, not just the pastor's The whole church is a kingdom of priests. Yes. And God did that for intimacy. Mm. He did that for glory. Wow. For manifestation of of the kingdom. Quick question, Billy. Um, What you just said, you know, I think everyone recognizes, every Christian recognizes the priesthood. Like I'm a priest, the priesthood of all believers. But that second part that you said was so unique. And you're saying that the primary calling of a priest is to first minister to God. Could you just take maybe a couple minutes to even break that down? What what does that actually mean for the average person 
to minister to God. Yeah, Acts 13 is a great verse. Okay. It says that there were certain prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch. And as they ministered to the Lord and with fasting, mm. the Lord said to me, said mm. to them, separate unto me Barnabas and Paul for the ministry I have for them. Mm. And and what the what the transition that we saw with David was this. Mm. He was the first one that said, I will bring a sacrifice of praise. Wow. In other words, up until that time, they were bringing a sacrifice of an animal. Wow. He said, I'm going to bring a sacrifice of praise. Wow. And it's going to be the fruit of my lips. Wow. Giving thanks. Wow. And, and so the, the, the unique thing that, that we find in this idea of ministry, it's like, it's almost like this. It's like God has constantly invited humans to hit to himself, to love. Wow. So I, he's basically said it like this. I love you. Mm. And it's like, if you're in a, if you're in a relationship, like you, like you and your wife, um, like there's times when I tell my wife, I love her, but you know, I really want, I'm really wanting to hear her say it back. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Yep. Dot, dot, dot. Like, <laughs> Oh good. You love me back. Good. But I'm yeah. loving, I'm loving her. Not just so she'll love me back. I'm pouring love into her knowing that that's the thing that it's going to, it's going to evoke from her. Right. Wow. And here's what I feel like. I feel like God's constant message to humanity is I love you. Mm. And will you love me back? Mm. And that's why he makes us a kingdom of priests that have full access. See the blood gives us full access, right? Mm. So there's nothing in the way on God's side between us and him. So because you have full access to me, full access to my heart. The question is, will you love me back? And that's really what ministry under the Lord is, right? It's loving wow. him back, wow. thanking him, praising him, loving him because he first loved us. It's stunning to me to think God actually wants <clears throat> He wants our love. Wow. <clears throat> goofy little want... us, you know, goofy me. <laughs> he wants my love. You know, I, I just, I thought of um, a quote that uh, a Korean pastor in Seoul shared with me one day. And I remember he was actually sharing this on the microphone, but he was saying how worship is the greatest gift that God could have given to man because it's through the vehicle of worship or as we acknowledge him, as we praise him, like you were saying, giving, giving him the fruit of our lips. He says what's actually happening is that as we engage in that activity, our consciousness of him is ever growing. And that's what he was calling magnifying we were magnifying god and he says at the end of the day as we do it he becomes more real to us yeah that's good. and he was just saying how that was the greatest gift that god could give to man yeah that's awesome yeah well billy this is so good brother um i think we're as we're wrapping up i mean i feel like you hit on such a such an amazing um you kind of took us on a journey where obviously you're first talking about your own journey and then we're talking about the tabernacle of David. And I think the real golden nugget that you were hitting was this, this reality of mirroring heaven and earth. Mm -hmm. I think for so many people, you know, heaven is this ethereal thing, but the way that you're describing it and the way that the scripture describes it is that it's real. It's a real place. Yeah. It's tactile. It's tactile. Yeah. There's distance, there's measurements, yep. there's, you know, there's organics, there's trees, yep. There's, there's buildings. <laughs> I mean, when John gets the full tour in, in the book of Revelation, yeah, he, 
he's experiencing physicality. Mm. And the way that I, I, you know, most of us think heaven is some sort of cloudy realm, mm. but it is full blown physical. There's a, there's a river, there's trees, there's organics, there's space, there's spatial elements, mm. you know, edifices, you know, there's building, um, building elements. And um, the way I think of it is, you know, if you ever been where there's a two way mirror, yeah. On one side, it's a reflection. On the other side, you can see right through. That's right. And right now, we're looking at the reflecting, reflection side. Wow. But in half a second, yes. that mirror, that veil goes away. Wow. And we're going to be able to move in and out of both sides. Wow. And that's what we do with these convergence. This convergence idea is we're actually taking from what's in heaven and manifesting it here on this side. You know, and I love that because the the phrase or the quote that someone's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good always really bothered me because it stems from a premise of a view of heaven that isn't real. It's true. And if we have, well, I'm just like, if our view of heaven is tactile and real, that is actually how we become the greatest earthly good. Yeah. Abraham, the father of faith, it's really clear that he looked for the city whose builder and maker was God. Come on. So if, I mean, he's the, what enabled him to continue on his sojourn Yeah, was he was heavenly minded. You know, Colossians, he's the father of faith. Colossians yeah. three says it clear, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Come on, come on. Seek those things. Yes. So this, this concept of being too heavenly minded, I think you can get mystical and make up, you know, illusions about yes. what, what heaven is or what God is. And you get really mystical and you can get spiritually weird. Yeah. That's one thing, but actually having legit legitimate understanding of what the scripture talks about uh, regarding heaven enables us to engage the glory of our homeland heaven and manifest that here in this place. Wow. Yes. No, well, Billy, I appreciate it, brother. I think what you're talking about is deeply applicable, um, especially because you're talking about how we are the temple. And even like the more we perceive that reality, that heaven reality, and we engage with it, you start to see what I would call the effects of it even permeating, you know, through your own life, whether it is a greater sense of, I mean, this is what I always tell people. I mean, I coach clients that are Christian and non-Christian. And what I say is, is I say, you know, pray in the morning and acknowledge a creator and see if that doesn't actually, see if that doesn't actually provide a sense of peace that you didn't have before. Yeah. Just something simple. Touch something. that spot of heaven and see if exactly. it doesn't change this atmosphere. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so I appreciate it, Billy. Last question that I would have for you is obviously we are entering into a new year. Um, I guess whether it's an encouragement, something that you're feeling in your heart, is there anything that you would want to share or release that could be uh, uh, just something maybe you're personally feeling around this year or the season of God that you feel? Yeah, I feel like there's a, a great need for the church believers to come out of shallow, superficial Christianity. Come on. I feel like we've become accustomed to a one inch deep, one mile wide version of Christianity where we all kind of have our 50 Bible verses memorized, but it doesn't really impact our whole lives. It doesn't impact the culture. And um, um, 
Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, he wrote- One of my favorites. He wrote, superficiality is the scourge of our age. Mm. And the thing is, he wrote that in 1978. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and so I'm just staring at, you know, 42 years later, uh, thinking if it was superficial in 1978, what has the advent of our di digital age, our digital lives, our social media, our, uh, you know, smartphones in every hand, like wh what has our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram culture, how has that tuned us super in, in this terms of superficiality? And so wow. there's, there needs to be a, a greater depth in understanding the Bible. Yes. Greater depth, get depth and understand the heart of God. And yeah. The other thing I would say is there needs to be a greater depth in relationship with one another. Wow. There's a brother that spoke. Um, he said this to me recently. He said, we've got to learn how to pop open the hood of our hearts. Wow. And allow each other in. Wow. Thought, Man, that's such the right thing. It's like it's such a good word picture because it's almost like we're walking around this covering of our heart that we don't want to let anybody actually see under the hood. Wow. So I think getting getting out of superficiality, that's kind of a word that the Lord's been breathing on me for the you know last month over the over this season. Wow. Billy, if anyone wants to uh, find more of your resource, um, follow up on things that you've shared or taught in the past, what's the best way that they can find you? The easiest is billyhumphrey.com, B-I-L-L-Y-H-U-M-P-H-R-E-Y.com. That's my website. It's got um, links to all my online teaching, YouTube, all my social media. I do a, do a lot on social media videos and just put a lot of free resources out there. E-courses. I got all sorts of stuff, um, but the easiest way is through the website. Come on. Well, Billy, bro, thank you again, man, for taking the time. Yep. It's an honor. Love you, dude. Yes. All right, you guys. Well, this is the wrap up of our episode. As always, I hope that these um, episodes are bringing valuable content that you feel like you can apply in your life. Uh, if this has spoken to you or really resonated with you, we'd love for you to share this on social media. Again, thank you so much. God bless. Peace.